Amen. Jesus Messiah, Lord of all, ransom for sinners. Ransom for sinners. That includes me, because I'm a sinner. Someone once, uh, thank you, worship team. Someone once that I was uh, working with and, and uh, trying to be a witness to, and, and, and they asked me about, you know, my faith. And I, and I said to them, I said, I'm not saved from sin. I'm a sinner saved. And that spoke so loudly to him. When I came back the next year to work with him, he said, I'm going to church. My wife and I are going to church. We're taking our, 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 our daughter to Sunday school. His life had changed. Because he understood I wasn't saved from sin. I was a sinner saved. Now that gives us a lot of confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. Last week, we talked about our goals, our passions, our desires. That is to know Christ. To know Christ. And to be like Him. That's the whole purpose, to be like Him. So when I get to heaven, I don't want to change when I get to heaven. I want to change now so that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be in a right place. That's my desire. We were challenged to love each other as Jesus loves us. That's part of being like Jesus. We're also challenged to look at the inside of people's hearts and not to judge the outside. Look at what's inside. So today I want to focus, this morning we've already focused on the covenant, the new covenant. And so I want to focus today on God's covenant that he has made with us. Father, this morning, we come to worship, we come to hear you. Father, right now, our prayer is that you would speak and that we would listen. And that you would change us from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. I want to start with this passage. Here in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, here's what Scripture says. It says this. It says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In the city of Valladolid, Spain, stands this huge monument. And that monument is there commemorating the explorer Christopher Columbus. And I'm sure we're all familiar with... We're, we're all a little bit older, and I'm sure we've all learned it in school. Christopher Columbus, 1492. <laughs> 1492. I remember it. 
But anyway, one of the most interesting features of this memorial is the inclusion of a statue of a lion who is seen tearing down one of the Latin words that had been part of Spain's motto for centuries before Columbus made all of these astounding voyages. So it was already there. From the Middle Ages until Columbus, it was thought that the world was flat. <laughs> In places. <laughs> In places. But the Spaniards, from what the Spaniards understood, is they thought that they had reached the furthest points of this known world. And so they, they coined this motto which read, Ni plus ultra. And what that really says in our language is this, no more beyond, no more beyond. The lion in the statue, however, was positioned in action, tearing down this word knee, which is no in our language. And so the motto now reads, plus ultra, or in other words, more beyond, more beyond. Indeed, Columbus had proved that there was far more beyond what they had discovered. And indeed, there is also far more to God than we have discovered. Far more for us to discover. Often, we see less. Often, we see less. That's what the Spaniards did, right? They thought they had reached it. If we go back to the fall in the Garden of Eden, we find that Adam and Eve knew what it was like to have perfect communion with God. Perfect communion. There was no sin in the way. They were totally open in their relationship with God. Nothing hindered that relationship. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine having a relationship with God today where there is nothing between you and God? Absolutely nothing. Perfect communion. I, I can say this. I've been in places where we have been in worship, where we have been in concerts or, or been in a place where a worship team has, has played wonderful music and it's, it's been a powerful, powerful moment. And, and these moments have set the bar for me because I always want to reach that place. The, the highest point in my worship, that's what I want to reach. And it's not it doesn't come about by a musical style. It doesn't come about by saying, this is great music. It doesn't come about by a performance. It comes about because of my heart attitude toward God. It comes because in that place is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down and touches you in this very powerful, powerful way. I've also been in prayer times where the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. So powerful. And I know I've been in places where 
times of prayer where, where I lift up my prayers to the Lord and they go about this high. And that's as far as they go. They just can't seem to get beyond the ceiling. But other times, it's like, it's like the ceiling isn't there. It's like, like heaven has opened up. It's like you've come into the presence of God. And that has set a, a bar for me. I want to come into that place. When I come into prayer, that's the goal that I have. To come into the close communion with God. To come into His presence. I don't know if you have experienced that or not. But if you have, don't you want more? I want more of that. I'm not settled for saying, okay, this happened once. That's great. No, I want to come back to that place. I want to come back to that place. Adam and Eve were in this untainted relationship with God. In perfect harmony, perfect unity, perfect holy communion. And after Adam and Eve sinned, they were banished not only from this place, the Garden of Eden, they were in a place where they were struggling in their relationship with God. This perfect communion they had with God was broken. It was shattered. It was no more. And I believe that with all their heart, with every effort, they continued to try to get back into this place that they were in with God before the fall. I don't know if you can imagine that. I, I hope you can. I hope you can see where Adam and Eve were, what they had lost, what they tried to reach for again, what they tried to pursue. Since Adam and Eve, no generation has ever come to that place, to that level of relationship with God. None of us have gotten there. And so like the, the Spaniards, we as people often say, no more beyond, <laughs> no more beyond. And people in this world are drifting further and further and further away from this connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is moving away. There's no more beyond. But God recognized as human beings, we need a lot of help. We can't do this on our own. We need help. And so through Moses, God introduced the law, and he introduced the sacramental system. The sacrificial system. And what we find is that the law came in order for the law to allow us to have more. The law sought more for us. The law sought more. Speaking of the law, what I mean by the law is the instructions that God has given through Moses to the people of Israel in the first five books of the Bible. They're often called the books of Moses. And it's in those books that God had given instruction which we understand as the law. John Piper 
uh, gives a description uh, of what this means, and I, I've compressed it, and I've compressed it in this way, is the intent of the law then was to assist people of faith in loving God foremost and similarly loving our neighbors. So the whole intent of the law was to bring us into this love relationship with God and this love relationship with one another. Secondly, this love was to be the outworking of authentic saving faith. The outworking of authentic saving faith. Thirdly, the law didn't call for a salvation by works, but the law called for a people of God to obedience. To obedience, which comes out of the faith that they have. Fourthly, the commandments were not to obey God in order to win God's favor, but because of God's free grace. It would then lead them to a full and lasting and joyful life. The commandments were to be a benefit to us, not a rope or a chain. Lastly, it was intended that they should delight and meditate on the law. Why? Because it is of, sport, of, of moral and spiritual value. The law is of moral and spiritual value. The Israelites, however, they saw things in a different light. They saw the law as their obligation to God. The law was their obligation to God. They attempted to, to gain God merit by their works so that God would be appeased by their works. They sought to be blessed by God because they thought if they could if they could get this by merit, that God would somehow bless them in a, in a far greater way. And so Moses presented all of the elements of this great covenant that God was making with them. He, he actually laid out all of the, the, the contract, you might say, that God had or, or was about to enter into with Israel. He laid that out for them. And, and this agreement was to be made before the people. Should Israel accept this proposal, then this covenant would be established. So in Exodus chapter 19, we find that Moses summoned all of the elders and he summoned all of the people and he set all of these conditions before the people. And then he wrote out the words of the covenant for them. After that, he built an altar of 12 pillars and after that was built, he took and he sacrificed oxen. And he sprinkled some of the blood on the altar. And after the covenant was made, he sprinkled blood on the people. And before he did that, he read the covenant to the people and they responded in unison. All of them together, the people said this, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will do everything that the Lord has said. They said to God, this is good. We will do what you have asked us to do. To confirm that, Moses then sprinkled the people with the blood that was sacrificed. Now the question, of course, for us is, did the Israelites ever keep that covenant? 
Anyone? No. They never kept that covenant. They, they broke the promise. And how long was it after the covenant did they break this promise? Almost immediately, right? Because we find in the story that Moses then went up Mount Sinai. And while he was up on Mount Sinai, they decided that they would build a calf. And they decided that this calf was their new god. Man, they just entered into a covenant with God. Now they're entering into a new covenant with something that isn't God. Making him their God. I have a hard time comprehending that. That's how quick it happened. Barely was the covenant ratified and they were on another path. But in this covenant, we find that the law sought for more. The law sought for more for the Israelites, for the people. But the people wanted to settle for a whole lot less. And so the law was desecrated, the covenant was broken, and so was their relationship with God. It was broken. So we find the covenant indeed was broken. As we read scripture, we find this written in scripture, which tells us that there was something wrong with the covenant. There was something wrong with the covenant that the Israelites made with God. Now, it's not that God made a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. The problem with the covenant was the people, not God. It was the people. They promised to obey, but they failed. They failed to obey. Secondly, the covenant was no longer able to bring them the blessings that God had promised because they broke it. It's like an agreement that you make. If you make an agreement with someone and they break that agreement, say it was a home. You make an agreement to buy this home. The person agrees to pay a certain amount. But then the person doesn't give you the money that they need to 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 put the, the money down on the house or they, the funds aren't forwarded for the house. The agreement is broken. The house is no longer theirs. Can't be. It's not with the fault of the person who is selling. It's with the fault of the person who is buying. The Israels were buying into God's covenant. They failed in their agreement. So now they could no longer reap the benefits of this agreement. It wasn't possible. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 7 says, If there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. See, that first covenant could no longer be affected. So there was no more blessing for anybody. It was gone. Verse 8 says, God found fault with the people. And thirdly, this is most astounding, we find that God chose to abolish the covenant because it was broken. But then he also said, I'm going to make a new covenant. We're going to have a new agreement. Now, for the Israelites, this was a hard thing because it was like, no, God, you made this agreement with us. We're going to stick with this agreement. 
God says, no, no, that one's gone. There's going to be a new one. And the Israelites basically said, we don't want it. Sorry, God. We don't want this new agreement. We're going to stick to the old one. That's what they said. If we go to uh, verse 8, it says, God says, I will make a new covenant. Verse 13, God says, by calling this, this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Even though the Israelites tried to bring back the old covenant, it fell away. But the promise of a new covenant was being enacted. It was a blessing. This blessing would be this, that they would become God's treasured people. They would become a kingdom of priests. They would enjoy a relationship with God, one that was spiritual, one that was physical, one that was materialistic. God's covenant was to bless them in the full being, everything. Everything they put their hands to, if it was done for the glory of God, would be a blessing. Even though the old covenant was broken, the Israelites continued to seek to maintain this old covenant. They were trying to earn it back. They missed it. They missed it completely. We could ask this question, why did God bring about this covenant? What was the point of the old covenant? What was the point of the old covenant? You see, we, we talked about this fact that they had gone off in another direction. And God saw that they needed help. And God brought in this covenant, the old covenant as we understand it, in order to reach their hearts. God wanted the hearts of the people. That's what he really wanted. God already knew, God is all-knowing, he already knew that they would not be able to keep the law or the sacrificial system. God already knew that they would not rend their hearts to him. God knew they would drift even further away from the, what the law intended to do. Yet God was, was patient. God is always patient. I know he's patient with me because I wouldn't be here if he wasn't. And I've done enough stuff in my life that, that God could have said, away with you. But he didn't. God continued in patience. Turn to uh, 1 Chronicles, if you have your Bible and you want to follow. 1 Chronicles chapter 7. And we're probably very familiar with this passage. It's a wonderful passage. But in, in uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, here's what God says. If my people, you already know what the passage says? 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. (laughs) It's a promise that God made. All they had to do was wait for this covenant to be confirmed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a covenant God already had made, already intended to make. He was going to confirm it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was to become the guarantee of a better covenant. And Jesus became the guarantee of a better covenant. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22, says this. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The better covenant is what we celebrated this morning. A better covenant. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 Uh, We're probably familiar with this passage as well, most of us. But it says this, He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. By His wounds, we are healed. The covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our question now is, has God done away with the law? Has God done away with the law? Not at all. In fact, we find as we read through the New Testament in the Gospels, Jesus reiterates the law, doesn't he? He confirms that the law is true. The law is effective. God still wants us to operate in accordance to the law. So what fell away? The sacrificial system, right, was no longer needed because that sacrificial system was needed in order to hold that old covenant. In the new covenant, Jesus is the sacrificed lamb. The sacrificial system has fallen away. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus' message and his actions, however, are totally radical to Old Test- the Old Testament law, aren't they? Totally radical. This was the thrust of the new covenant. This was also the message of Jesus. It's totally different. How was it different? It was different in many ways. We don't have to bring the sacrifices anymore. We bring ourselves and offer ourselves to God. So we can ask ourselves this, how does Jesus' message, how does it impact us today? We find as we go through the scriptures that Jesus' message stood out against the teachers of the law. Because the teachers of the law, remember, were still trying to accomplish this old covenant still trying to earn their way back into God's favor. 
But Jesus' message was a message of love. Jesus' message was one of acceptance and forgiveness. That was foreign. That was foreign to the teachers of the law. The Pharisaic message was one of judgment and condemnation. Because every time they looked at the law and they looked at people, they were about to condemn. They said, you broke the law. Condemnation. Jesus is forgiveness. Jesus' message was one of being open-minded to people, to cultures, to practices. Jesus was available for everyone. The Pharisees, they were closed-minded. They were exclusive. They pushed people out of the way if they didn't follow these exact rules and regulations. Jesus' message was so radical that people either loved him or hated him. There was no, well, I kind of, no. You loved Jesus or you hated Jesus. Either you loved what he was doing or you hated what he was doing. Some hated him so much that they killed him. They hung him on a cross because they didn't want to hear the message. We could ask another question. What was the point of Jesus' radical teaching? We're going to take a few moments just to consider it. Jesus questioned the religious leaders. And even further than that, he pronounced woes over them. Why? They weren't there yet, right? They were still trying to accomplish something. But there was no more. Jesus did healings and miracles on the Sabbath. Whoa, that he should do some work. Again, law, judgment. Jesus didn't call his, his disciples to wash their hands or, or their feet. He didn't call them to, to uh, fasting. Whoa, again, they can't possibly earn that old covenant that way. How could they? He allowed his disciples to pick and roll grain on the Sabbath to do some work. That was radical. He cleared the temple of everything, including the religious leaders. Who would have thought that someone could have taken the leaders of the law and oust them out of God's house? They thought they had a right to be there, to do what they want. He told people to pay their taxes. The Israelites never wanted to pay taxes. He said, you go and pay your taxes that are due. He ate with sinners. He hung out with prostitutes. He conversed with the Samaritans. He questioned the laws and traditions. He stood up for the needy and he embraced the poor. That wasn't something that the old covenant included. What was the point of Jesus' radical teaching? was to show them how far they had moved from God's purposes, God's direction. They had moved further away instead of coming closer. The law was no longer bringing them closer or anyone closer. It was pushing people away. 
God, and, and Jesus condemned that because he says, you lead people of faith away from God. Jesus' actions were to rightly restore the true practice of being faithful to God. Not faithful to men's systems, not faithful to men's practices or their traditions, but being truly faithful to God. What's the point? It's kind of like this. People always want to mess with God's plans. People always want to mess with God's plans. And so every so often we need a paradigm shift. We've got to take a look at where we are and we've got to say, ah, we've got to move over here because we have drifted away from the message. It's not to say that we've put away the gospel message, but what's behind it. I want to leave you with some of these thoughts. The church has grown cold in the latter mid-century. We find that the Reformation brought the church back on track. It had gone off in another direction. It was preaching the gospel, but it was preaching included with another gospel. Today, the church of God in our Western world has again drifted away. We are drifting away. And I believe that there is a need for a radical reformation. A radical reformation. Again, we're falling into traditions and the, and the laws and rules and regulations that man makes surrounding this relationship we have with God. And I believe that that reformation has begun. There are places where God is moving in a powerful way. He's moving in a powerful way. The question for each of us in this church is this. Will you be able to embrace this radical Jesus? Will you be able to embrace this radical Jesus? Because that's really what it comes down to. Or will we oppose Jesus? Before Jesus was crucified, there was this question of, if we kill him, or no, it was the disciples. If we kill, him, kill these disciples, what will happen? And one of the Pharisees says, it doesn't matter what you do. If this is the work of God, it will go ahead. We can oppose this radical change. God's work is going to go ahead without you. Without you. Or you can embrace this reformation and walk with God. You will either make your preferences a priority of the faith or you are going to go to the cross with him. That's something to think about, isn't it? Is it my faith? Is it my walk? Is it my way? Or is it going to the cross with Jesus? I want to go to the cross with Jesus.
Jesus is the turning point. He really is. You're either going to take one direction or you're going to take another. Jesus' path is radical. It's radical. Because you know what Jesus' path is? It's kingdom-focused. It's kingdom-focused. It's not focused on this church. It's not focused on this group. Jesus is kingdom-focused. Jesus, everything Jesus says he has done, everything he has shared was for the glory of his Father. And the expectation or, or, or the desire that if we are walking with Jesus is everything we do is for the glory of Jesus. For the glory of Jesus. Not for my glory. Not for the sake of what I want or desire. But for His glory. Everything has to be for His glory. The thing is, will you believe in Him for it this time? Will you believe in Him for it? Or will you try to achieve it yourself? That's the question. We just heard and understood there was an old covenant that the Israelites tried to achieve on their own. Are you going to try to achieve God's will on your own under this new covenant? Or will you believe in Jesus this time? Let me just leave you with this verse. John chapter 3 verse 36. And it says this very clearly. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Do you understand what that's saying? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What's it dependent upon? Believing. Is it dependent upon what I do? No. It's dependent on what I believe. And what I believe will change what I do, won't it? Starts with what I believe. What I believe will change what I do. And then it has this warning. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We have to walk a new road in the covenant, the new covenant, which says, I believe. I believe. Father, this morning, Jesus is radical. There's no doubt about it. All the folks of his day either saw Jesus as the work of God or they saw him as an enemy of themselves. They had to make a choice. They chose to go back to something that they had. But Jesus was introducing a new covenant that you, God, wanted for us. So that we could be brought back into this relationship where there is much more beyond what we have. God, this is, this is the passion of our hearts. We want more. We want more of you.
We want to love you more. We want to walk with you more. We, we want to reach that level. The highest level we've ever reached in our spiritual walk. And we want to go beyond. Help us, Lord, not to put obstacles in the way. But help us to seek you in that manner. So, Father, we commit our lives to you today under the new covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for this new covenant which we are now under. In his name we pray, amen.